welcome back to the Yoga Magic Podcast. I'm so happy you're here, everybody. If you're new to the show, this is a show all about self-care and self-discovery. I'm your host, Ashley. I love to bring you tools to you know help in the everyday. Today, I'm re-airing one of my favorite episodes that I come back to pretty often myself when I'm in need of some mental and emotional resiliency. Now, you know, as a yoga teacher, as a fitness professional, I talk a lot about physical resiliency and how we put ourselves into, you know, kind of a good state of stress when we work out. But what we know is that good stress can also happen when we're getting out of our comfort zone in the regular, when we're getting used to, you know, some of those things that feel really comfort and we step out of the box, we're able to handle those more difficult stresses with more resiliency, with more emotional and mental resiliency so that you know we're more prepared in the future. Today's guest, Dr. Emily Anhalt, co-founder and chief clinical officer of COA, the gym for mental health, was on the show back in June of 2022. And she has just so many amazing tools to put in your toolbox, you know, really to do just that, to build that resiliency. In this episode, we talk about how you can prepare for tough times in life by doing what she calls emotional push-ups. We talk about why self-care isn't always comfortable. And this this is so true, right? We talk about some of the time constraints of self-care, how to move through those. She offers up this idea of a worry hour on this episode. And I have used this so many times myself. I've shared it with other friends. And you have to listen in. Make sure to take notes on that. Like, what is a worry hour? How can it help you? And we also just talk about, you know, the power of taking action right now, making some changes right now that can ultimately benefit you in the future. So thanks to Emily for being on this show. If you want to learn more about her and Koa, you can check them out on Instagram at joinkoa. And finally, friends, as always, thanks for being here. You know, we've got so many great new guests coming up, someone sharing insight into reverse meditation. You're like, what the heck is that? We're talking realistic and holistic wellness from a nurse slash health coach extraordinaire. And one of my all-time favorite authors is coming on to share her take on biohacking for women. And of course, you'll be hearing from me, just those simple takes on self-care, things that you can do every day to stay well. So stick around so that you can stay in that state of magic. If you're someone who really benefits from accountability, friends, from the opportunity to set those goals and get focused on your self-care, on your self-development, on your health and wellness, then shoot me a DM or schedule a free 15-minute discovery call to learn more about health coaching and how you know the changes that you make in your life make all the difference. Sometimes you just need a little bit of hand-holding in the process. Thanks again, everybody. Follow along on Instagram at Yoga Magic Podcast. Let's hop to our conversation with Dr. Emily Anhalt, the co-founder of COA. Welcome, Emily. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. I've been just researching a lot of your work and COA and just all the good stuff that you're putting out into the world. And I have so many questions. So thanks for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, So can you, let's hop right in. I want to know a little more about your background, your upbringing, your education, sort of the the lead story up into how you got to do what you do today. Absolutely. So I am a clinical psychologist. I've been studying psychology about 17 years now. I've been practicing about 12 years. And I grew up in Silicon Valley. So I've always had an interest in a more proactive approach to mental health care. 
in high school, I had a psychology teacher who told me that if you know a lot about psychology, you'll know a little about everything because <laughs> the world is spoken in the language of relationships. And psychology essentially is the study of the relationship that we have with ourselves and the relationship we have with others. So that really resonated with me. And in grad school, I decided that I wanted to try to understand what a more proactive approach to mental health would look like. And I was working with a lot of entrepreneurs and founders and people who are relatively high functioning, but who still had a lot of work that they wanted to do to improve those relationships in their life. So about eight years ago now, I did a big research study where I interviewed a hundred psychologists and a hundred entrepreneurs. And I asked them, how would you know if you were sitting across the table from an emotionally healthy person? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What do those people do? What do they not do? And I coded all of these interviews for themes. And out of this research came what I call the seven traits of emotional fitness. These are the seven things that people can work on all the time to improve their mental and emotional health. And we can touch on those if you want, but briefly, the seven traits are self-awareness, empathy, mindfulness, curiosity, playfulness, resilience, and communication. And then a few years ago, I co-founded COA, which is a gym for mental health. It's a place where you can work on your mental health the way you would your physical fitness. And it has been such a beautiful thing to see people stepping into this work once they're given the permission to, you know, not have to be totally falling apart to, you know, deserve ongoing support. Have you seen in the last few years, I mean, more people are so aligned with this work. They're coming, I mean, obviously that's coming from more of like a a low point for many of us, but that interest in in mental health and and truly mental fitness, how can we get ahead? How can we be more resilient? Is that, have you seen that uptick? Yeah, big time. And I think you're right that part of it has been necessity. I think the last few years have shown us that no one is going to be able to get through life without some struggles and without unexpectedly tough things happening. So that's been part of it. But I think the biggest thing is that the stigma has been starting to drop and, you know, people feel like it's okay to work on themselves and then they start to do it. And they're like, oh my gosh, this makes such a big difference. It's sort of like, you know, 10 years ago, if someone had said that they were going for a run, you might be like, what what do you mean you're going for a run? Who are you running from? You know? And then (laughs) all of these brands came in and destigmatized physical fitness as being part of everyday life. And now Mm -hmm. going for a run is just unremarkable. That's just how things go. So that's what we're really trying to do with mental fitness is we want 10 years from now for it not to be that interesting to say that you're working on your mental health because that's what everyone's doing and it'll improve every part of your life. Definitely. A friend of mine works in higher education and and she was just talking about how the majority of kids in undergrad right now are get, I mean, regularly it's part of their active life is to be in therapy. And I'm just like, I wish that was the vibe when I was in school. Yeah. And in the meantime, like it makes me so hopeful for my kids that like that this is just like you said, destigmatized as part of our life. Absolutely. I, I feel hopeful about that too. I think that the generation that just below me is really taking this up and is making it something that people talk about really openly and, and do as a common practice. And, you know, I've just seen from my own therapy, what a profound difference it can make to work on yourself in this way. So I'm happy to see it gaining traction. 
Yeah, definitely. Same here. I really love your quote. You had said that self-care is thoughtful, compassionate choices for yourself. And we talk a lot about self-care on this show. And, you know, you, you had said like self-care is having a moment, definitely a moment, but I don't think a lot of us understand even what it is or like what to do with it or what that means for us individually. So, you know, putting some definition on it is so helpful. How do you see self-care in relationship with emotional fitness? Like how are these combined? I mean, it's definitely, they are one and another, but I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Well, the way that I define emotional fitness is it's an ongoing proactive practice of strengthening your mental and emotional health. And just like you said, self-care is having a moment. It has really gained popularity, which is wonderful. And in a way, self-care can mean anything that supports your well-being. Sure. But I've also seen it become sort of an excuse to do whatever the hell we want, all in the name of self-care. <laughs> <Yes>, literally. <laughs> you know, it's good. Get a massage if that's what makes you feel good. Absolutely. But, you know, I wouldn't say that self-care always feels good. And I wouldn't say that it's always easy. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of people think self-care means just relaxing or, you know, having an extra glass of wine, or, you know, there are these things that we call self-care that maybe aren't actually in our best interest sometimes. So just like exercise is not always fun or easy, but it's still good for us. Self-care isn't always fun or easy, but, you know, like having strong boundaries is an example of self-care that isn't always fun or easy. So to me, self-care means doing what is ultimately going to move you toward the version of yourself that you want to be and toward the life that you want to live. Sometimes it is really lovely and sometimes it's tough, but we push through it anyway. Yeah. Pulling it to fitness, like that sort of the parallel with fitness, I think about, you know, we need to build stress in our bodies when we do really hard workouts so that we are more resilient and we're stronger and we can do things you know, we can handle those other physical stresses in our life because we've done it before. And that's sort of the same thing as far as your work. Like you kind of, it's that resiliency, that prep work of, of like, okay, I, I've, this is hard right now, but it's ultimately going to be easier the next time that I do it. Would that make, is that kind of what you're saying? Oh yeah. You've said it perfectly. It's okay. like when you're working out, if you're not a little uncomfortable, you're probably not getting stronger. Yeah, You have to push yourself just a little, not toward pain, but a little toward discomfort. And that's how you get stronger. And so one of the things we talk about a lot at COA is the idea of emotional pushups. And so if you think about what a physical pushup is, it's this tiny physical exertion that pushes you a little out of your comfort zone. And if you just do one, it's not going to do much for you. But if you do many and every day you do a little more than the time before, not only will you get better at pushups, but you're also going to be able to carry heavy groceries or carry your kids around. And you're going to probably prevent some physical problems down the line because your body is more able to fight off you know, difficult things. So an emotional push-up is anything that pushes you just a little bit outside of your emotional comfort zone so you can grow. And so that's what we're trying to encourage people do, to do is just push yourself a little bit outside of that comfort zone every day to get a little bit more mentally strong every day. And then not only will everyday life become easier, but you're also going to prevent some of the mental health struggles that you might have faced down the line. Because my experience is that a lot of the mental health problems we face 
depression, anxiety, things like that, burnout are a result of not having given ourselves or not having been given the space and permission and support and tools to feel our feelings in the moment, to sit in uncomfortable things instead of trying to numb them or turn away from them. So if we can get good at this every day, then my experience is actually that you are going to be doing your future self a huge favor. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm in such agreement. And and I anecdotally experienced this very much. So with, you know, many years of meditation and self-study and doing the, the work that was that is like, it's kind of the heavy lifting of it all. Yeah. And then came across a pretty devastating loss and felt, you know what, like I can do this. I know mm. how to do this. And I was so, so grateful for that, for that legwork. Like you said, for the push-ups <laughs> done hundred percent because our culture is so reactive with mental health. You're really made to feel like things have to be completely falling apart before you work on yourself. But to right. me, that's like waiting until you're diagnosed with early signs of heart disease to do cardio. And I really want to encourage people, no, do your emotional cardio now so that, like you said, when life throws a curveball at you, you already have a lot of internal tools and resources and ability to navigate that tough thing. Yeah. I didn't include this in our prep questions, but I, I think something, you know, as far as barriers go, when those tough times do come about and we're all of a sudden looking for some help. I mean, financial constraints. And I just think it's really hard to find a therapist. Like I haven't been able to really navigate that perfectly. I, which is why I love what you're doing with COA because ultimately it's, it's a lot more sustainable. It's, you can afford it and, and it's easier. Would you agree? Can you describe sort of like COA in its existence and your, your goals for it? Yeah, absolutely. So COA is a gym for mental health. We are working to make mental health care as proactive, accessible, and community-oriented as physical fitness is. And we do this through these therapist-led emotional fitness classes online. So all of our classes are taught by therapists. They're not therapy. We're not asking people to unpack their deepest traumas, but they are a chance to connect with other individuals and learn skills to increase those seven traits that I told you about. So how Mm -hmm. to become more resilient, how to become more self-aware. And you do this through this really experiential classes where you're in breakout rooms and you're taking polls and you're in the chat and you are doing this alongside other people who are also working on themselves. And so it's a, it's a membership. You become a member, you can take all of these classes. There's on-demand content, there's community events. And the idea is that you're working mental health care into your everyday life, like you would be your physical fitness rather than it having to be so acute. And so, you know, waiting till something happens and then, oh, I need to fix it. Instead, it's exactly like what you were saying, building up those tools and resources along the way. Mm-hmm. Time is such a constraint for so many of us. Are the, how long are the classes? Like, is it something we can fit in? I mean, like the gym, like actually going to the gym to me sounds awful. <laughs> so, like <laughs> so much work. I've gotten so used to doing workouts at home. Like how long are, are these practices? Well, that's the nice thing. We have 15 minute push-up classes where you can just jump in and do a quick exercise. We have hour long classes. We have 85 minute classes and we have classes that you can do on your own time on demand. And so it really will fit into your schedule. I'll share one thing though, which is time is one of the things I hear a lot of people talk about when I ask them why they're not investing in themselves in this way. And while I totally get it, while I absolutely know time is a really valuable resource, I also think that time kind of expands and contracts in relation to our priorities. 
And we will make time for the things that are most important. My experience is that the time you spend working on yourself actually frees up twice the amount of time in the rest of the week. Like when I am in therapy talking about the tough things that I'm feeling or thinking, working stuff through, then the whole rest of the week, I'm not preoccupied by those things. So it actually has freed up more time than it takes, I believe. And so I think that just like it takes a lot more time to heal from an illness than it does to prevent an illness. That's what we're going for here is spend a little bit of time, 15 minutes, do a push-up every day on your mental health. And then it's going to save you, you know, the month you have to take off from work because you've just completely burnt out and you can't think anymore. Yes. Yes. Time. I was listening to another podcast about time recently and it just, it kind of, I was like walking and I'm, it literally blew my mind. I was like standing by the lake, like, whoa. But the idea was that we, we don't have enough time for every single thing we want to do in our life. Right. It's not possible. And so we put this pressure on ourselves of like, ah, oh, we have to do all these things. And like, if we just take off that pressure and ultimately give ourselves restriction, restriction actually allows us to be more creative. Like we don't, time is not infinite. So let's prioritize the things that matter. And something like this, like it very, I mean, obviously it matters. It's going to save so much in the future. And I think it's just a matter of reprioritizing a little bit. Oh yeah, absolutely. Constraints definitely foster creativity and having this little contained part of your day when you work on your mental health, then the whole rest of the day. I mean, one of the, one of the things I talk about a lot is, you know, anxiety has been a huge thing lately. Obviously I think we're all trying to figure out how to deal with uncertain futures right now. And one of the suggestions I give for managing anxiety is if your anxiety is so intense that it's distracting you for everything you have to do the rest of the day, then you might consider scheduling a worry hour. A worry hour is a time that you actually put on your calendar once a day, once a week, once a month, whenever you need it. And during that time, you can worry as much as you want. You can obsess, you can ruminate, you can freak out whatever you need to do. But then the rest of the day or week or month, when you start to get anxious, you tell yourself, nope, that's six o'clock me's problem. She'll worry <laughs> about it then. I'm just going to focus on what's true right now. And having that contained space to do that thinking really frees up your mind to focus on other things the rest of the time. Oh my gosh. I love that idea. I, I don't know that I'd actually like want to do, like put it into practices. I feel like, what am I going to fill up with an hour? But like my husband the other night was like, I couldn't sleep. I was just having all these thoughts like going through my head. And I'm thinking like, you could give yourself a container here for that. Totally. Exactly. That makes so much sense. It doesn't yeah. have to be a whole hour. It could be 15 minutes yeah. if you want, whatever you need it to be. Oh man. I'm in my third trimester. By the time this actually airs, it'll be, they will be here. And I just like the thoughts, I mean, the worries that go through my head at this stage are just constant and it is taking up a lot of time in my day. So I might, yeah, maybe I do have an hour to fill. I want to go back to these seven traits of emotional fitness. And if you can just expand on each of them a little, I'm really curious to talk about the self-awareness piece. Um, but if you can briefly talk about each. Yeah, sure. All right. So the first one is self-awareness, which I define as understanding who you are in the world, what your triggers and biases and strengths and areas of growth are, just knowing enough about yourself that your choices are made with intention. Because sometimes the things we don't know about ourselves are deciding a lot about our life. So the more we know, the more agency we have. Empathy, if self-awareness is understanding your own emotions and your own situation, empathy is understanding the emotions and needs of other people. 
Mindfulness, we define a little bit different than you might've heard elsewhere. My definition of mindfulness is becoming more comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm. It's the ability to sit in discomfort long enough to make the best choice for yourself instead of the choice that moves you away from discomfort quickly. So meditation, yoga, these are great ways of increasing that ability. The next trait is curiosity, which is pursuing growth over defensiveness. It means that when there's something tough to know about ourselves, rather than turning away from it, we get curious. We ask questions. We decide that we would rather grow than avoid that tough feedback. Playfulness. This one is, I think, really undervalued. I talk about playfulness as creating a safe space for connection with others. It means saying yes and. It means being able to meet someone where they are and expand on ideas together and get somewhere together that you couldn't have gotten to alone. Resilience is the sixth trait, and that we define as bouncing forward through setbacks and failures. And we don't say bouncing back because the truth is you cannot avoid setbacks and failures, and they're going to change you, and you can go forward through them. You can learn lessons and become stronger as a result. And then finally, communication, which is all about putting words to your needs and boundaries and expectations, being able to help other people understand where you are or what you need, what you hope for, so that you can have a healthier relationship together. So those wow. are the seven. Those are great. I love that. And the the thing I was saying, self-awareness that really stuck out to me, I was just reading your materials and it was far as 95% of people believe that they're self-aware, but only about 10 to 15 really are. So I said to my husband, I'm like, do you think you're self-aware? Like I I don't think I'm as self-aware as I thought, <laughs> like so many of us. What is that? Like, how can we, why, why are we not self-aware? And then how can we become more self-aware? You know, I think we look at other people, we notice other people's blind spots. We notice a lack of self-awareness in other people. And we think, oh, well, I'm so self-aware because right. we don't know what we don't know. It's much easier to see someone else's blind spots than it is to see our own blind spots. Otherwise they wouldn't be blind spots. So the really important thing to understand is the people who really think they're so self-aware, I think they might be working really hard not to face some difficult things. So, you know, all of us work hard not to know certain things about ourselves. There's so much we don't know. We don't know about ourselves. I think that comes from, you know, when we're young, we develop certain ideas about ourselves and the world And those ideas tend to develop in reaction to our circumstances, often to protect us. You know, we form Mm -hmm. certain understanding of ourselves that's more based on protection than an exact truth. And as we get older, we're really good at looking away from anything that would challenge those ideas because it's painful and difficult. So much of therapy is about developing a safe space to question some of the things that you've thought were true. So self-awareness isn't just about gaining information. It's about feeling safe enough in the world to let go of old protections and to make room for new truths. And this is really hard to do by ourselves. So that's why I think therapy is the most powerful tool for this, because there's another person who can shine light into your blind spots, who Mm. can reflect things back to you. But there are other ways to increase self-awareness too, journaling regularly, meditating, asking for feedback from loved ones, like family and friends and colleagues, like an emotional push-up listeners could do right now is they could text three loved ones, a friend or a family member, a colleague, anyone in your life. And you can say, 
hey, I'm working on my emotional fitness and I'm working today on self-awareness. I would love it if you would share what is one thing that I'm doing really well as a friend or a colleague and what's one thing I could do 10% better. And you're going to be amazed at what comes back to you. You might learn something new about yourself just by asking for someone to teach you a little something. And so that's what I recommend is every day kind of reach out for more and then prepare yourself for the fact that what you hear might be a little hard and your first reaction might be to say, oh no, that's not true. Or that's not really a problem. (laughs) And that's our protection. That's that part of us that's trying to keep us from feeling pain. But if we can get curious, that's where that curiosity trait comes in and ask questions and try to learn more, then our self-awareness goes up and we can make more thoughtful choices. Can you give an example of something that we might not be self-aware of that, you know, is a condition that we experienced over time. And then we're like, oh, actually that's not true as an adult. Yeah. Let's see. What would be a good example? Maybe I'll try to use a personal example from myself instead of speaking for someone else. Okay. So one example that comes to mind is when I was young, I have ADHD and I was this rambunctious little kid. And I went to this little private school where everyone was really well-behaved And I, as a result, just didn't really get along with the kids at Mm. this school. And of course, this was really painful not to be liked. You know, when you're young, you really want to feel like you belong. And so the way that I protected myself from this feeling of not being liked is that I convinced myself that I don't really care what other people think. Yeah. And that protected me at the time. It worked for me. You know, I just convinced myself, you know, these just, I don't like these people anyway, and I don't care what they think. But then at some point in my life, I had to face the fact that I actually do care what people think. In fact, I care a lot what people think. Yeah. And I do want to be liked and loved. And by facing that I had that need, I was able to decide what I wanted to do with it. And I eventually decided that I should go to a different school where the kids are a little bit more like me. And I switched schools and I found all of these kids that were also rambunctious and loud and energetic like me. And it occurred to me of, oh, you know, this idea that I don't care what people think that was to protect myself. It wasn't actually the truth. And now that I know that about myself, I can say, you know what, I'm going to find my people and I'm going to invest in those relationships. So there's all kinds of little things that we do like this to protect ourselves. Does that make sense? The way yeah, we- it definitely does. Yeah. And so by learning what yours are, you can mm-hmm. make more intentional choices about how to live your life. Yeah. It's these, these, I don't know if shadow is not really the right word, but parts of ourselves that we've sort of denied, or we've just been like, oh, no, that's not true. And then all of a sudden we're like, actually, I really got to, I got to deal with this. I, is there a way as a parent, I'm always like, how can I prevent having to have my, my kids unravel all of this later? Are there ways to like, stop some of that as they're growing up, as they're building their conditioning, or is this just ultimately like psychology 101? They're just building their their future. I don't think there's anything parents can do to prevent their kids from suffering, from having to learn about themselves. But I will say, I think the number one most beautiful investment a person can make in themselves as a parent is their own therapy, their own work. Because we tend to pass on anything that we haven't worked through, it's it's a very natural thing. And so as we work on our own stuff, we're less likely to, without even realizing it, put that on our kids who then have to take it up and figure it out themselves. And by working on ourselves, we also teach our kids that it's okay to work on yourself, that we all have that work to do and that they don't have to be ashamed about 
growing themselves and, and, you know, doing that tough work. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's that. I don't want to say trauma, but just, just even like stress that we hand down to our kids energetically through our own, you know, life experiences. It's doing the self-care now. I mean, I, I cannot stress that enough. That is like, this is the purpose is so that we can take care of others, ultimately take care of ourselves now so that we can take care of others. Yeah. 100%. You know, I, I do believe that trauma is passed down from generation to generation, but the beautiful thing is that so is healing. The more that we do our healing, the more we encourage and support our children to do their own healing. And we give that permission. And I think that's the most powerful gift you can give your kids. Yeah. Kids see that they watch, they're watching us. My daughter <laughs> the other night had her, like, she's like, I'm meditating mom. Or no, she said, I'm manifesting mom. And she like set up, she's sick. She set up her little yoga mat and she had like, like, like the, the spray. She was hilarious. A crystal, all the things. And I'm like, mm, yep, this is definitely rubbing off. And it made me so excited to see her. I doing love that. that. <laughs> so beautiful. That's cute. I'd love to touch on success and really that, you know, we've talked through these managing our emotions and being able to work on our mental fitness, but ultimately like there's a lot in the world of success right now. People are leaving their jobs like crazy and redefining what success looks like, but also like as an entrepreneur, and I'm sure you experience this too, it can be like really triggering. It can be very vulnerable for those of us that, you know, had a vision of what our lives was going to look like at this age and just maybe aren't there, what, you know, what advice or tools can you offer in the area of success and redefining success? You know, we have such a hustle porn culture that oh we're my all God. Part Hustle of. porn. I love that word. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Yeah. amazing. laughs> it really equates success with production how much money we make and how much we're willing to sacrifice for our jobs. And I think that's a big problem because there isn't always room for each of us to decide for ourselves what success actually looks like. So I'd say my biggest piece of advice is to spend some time getting to know yourself. And, you know, that's that self-awareness piece. And to decide for yourself, what do you want your one and only life to look like? What do you want it to feel like? We get one round on this crazy earth. And rather than letting other people tell us what that should be, we do get to decide for ourselves. Now, of course, I have to recognize it's a privilege to be able to do what we want in the world. I understand that some people have to do whatever is going to put food on the table and support their family. But most of us have some time in our day and our week that we have agency over. And we all have really different values. And to make some space to prioritize your values, even if they don't align with what society tells you you should be working on all the time, is really important. So your value might be that just enjoying nature is success, or it might be helping other people. It might be uh, joy, just having you know contentment. Or it might be creating, making something that wasn't there before. Whatever is important to you, whatever makes you feel good about your existence and makes you feel like you've taken advantage of this time, make sure that you prioritize some time for that thing because it's pretty easy to blink and have 10 years go by and realize that we've been saying, at some point, I'll get to X, Y, and Z. But none of us is guaranteed at some point. So we have to make sure that we're prioritizing some of it right now, today. 
by the end of today, do one thing that is aligned with the way that you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Is so this- I'd be curious, I'd be curious for you, Ashley, like what is your definition of success? What's something that makes you feel like you're living your life the way that you want to? Oh, I, I do think about this a lot. I have, a, so I'm, I love astrology. We speak to astrology a lot on the show and I have this like very structured, um, subconscious. I love success. Like to me, success is money and it's, it's titles. And ultimately in the last several years, I've sort of left all of that behind in pursuit of joy. And for me, that success is freedom. It's freedom of time. It's freedom of energy expectations. Yes. 100%. And it also comes with this like vulnerability of, I don't have a fancy title. I don't have a ton of money, but I do have what I consider to be extremely valuable is that, that freedom and that autonomy. (laughs) Yeah. That's wonderful. So I'm curious if we were to do a little emotional pushup around this, what is something you could do with anywhere from five minutes to an hour of your time today that would really help you lean into this feeling of freedom? Oh, I, like you had mentioned getting out in nature and being able to just walk and not have any attachment to my phone or yes. any sort of social media or expectations, even if it's just for five, 10, 15 minutes, because I do need to, you know, if my kids call for some reason, I need to be able to be there for them, but like 10, 15 minutes, I can do that. And flexing that muscle more and more all the time has been a lot of joy. And you know, what's funny is that I do feel like the pandemic kind of taught me that like, you don't have to have endless freedom in order to be free. <laughs> you could just go for a walk. <laughs> That's beautifully said. Good. Oh, thank you for a little mini sash there. That's so, <laughs> that so helpful. Um, yeah, I, you know, it's, it, I get a lot of questions from people about, you know, leaving their jobs and wanting to pursue things like podcasts. And it's, I, I love what you, what you said there. And I think those that have that question about what it is, you, you can have these moments of, of success and not leave your full-time job. Like you can yes. do all of this because we need people working right now. We need people to be doing the, the important life-giving jobs and, and the mass exodus of res, you know, resignations isn't, is not necessarily helping. Let's all create a little bit of joy right now. I do definitely think that <clears throat> we tend to put things off yeah. that, you know, would require us to lean into discomfort now, because like you said, it's vulnerable to make space for the things that are really important to you. And it might require sacrifice, or it might require communicating our needs, or it might require prioritizing ourselves when we've been taught not to do that. And so, you know, if we're willing to take that up, then I just, I think that it's the best investment you can make. And now it was so yeah. funny. I was literally just talking to someone about this, that like, they were saying, well, when work gets a little less crazy, I'm going to do that. And I'm like, I don't think that's, it never does. <laughs> Life yeah. never gets less crazy. Like we need to do it now. It will never be convenient to take care of yourself. Right. So rather than waiting for it to be convenient, do it, do it now. This right is now. the moment you have. I, I guess I feel like that's the central idea around meditation, yoga, all of this is that we only have this moment. And so this is the right moment to, to work on yourself, to to support and prioritize yourself as an important being. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, before we talk a little more about Koa so that people can get invested and check it out and try some classes for themselves, I'd love to know what are your personal self-care practices? Like, what do you do to fill up your cup? 
Yeah. So therapy is a big one. I think that every good thing in my life I can attribute to the work that I did in therapy. And so that's an ongoing, really important one. Community is another really important one. Something we say at COA is emotional fitness is an individual journey, but a communal pursuit. Meaning like when you go to the gym, no one can lift your weights for you. You have to do that yourself, but it's so much easier to do it. If there's other people also lifting weights who can spot you and encourage you and who can show you how far you've come and where you're going. So finding my community has been such an important part of my self-care. And then I have a morning routine every morning. I meditate just for five minutes. That's the amount that's sustainable for me, but I do it every morning. I go for a short run. I have a healthy breakfast. Um, getting enough sleep is important. And then I started a practice. You can get these line a day journals on Amazon. Okay. Just type in line a day journal. And what it is, is um, every day there's space to just write one line about your day. And then it's got five years worth. So you fill out the line across the whole year and then you start again and you fill out the line. And so after five years, you have a record of how you were feeling on that day for the past five years. Oh, cool. And it's so powerful because you start to see patterns. Like I've been doing it for a long time now. And I'm like, wow, every year around this time, I'm kind of anxious. Huh, maybe it's because it's Thanksgiving and, you know, there's all the the family stress. Or I'll notice, oh, around the beginning of the month, I'm more creative. I should lean into that, that kind of thing. So it's a really cool way to to see what your patterns are. So I also recommend that as a practice. Oh, that's a great idea. We were even just talking pre-recording about like the seasons and and how it really, it's really very clear now at 35 that like, oh, wow, the seasons do affect me. (laughs) Can I tell you something really funny? I've noticed, I've noticed that my patients who grew up on the West coast and my patients who grew up on the East coast have a different relationship to their memories because of seasons. So my East coast patients will know how old they are in their memories because they remember what season it was and which snowsuit they were wearing, oh, yeah. or, you know, which, you know, summer house they were at, that kind of thing. Versus I grew up in California where there really aren't seasons. And mm-hmm. I just, it all kind of blends together. I, <laughs> I don't really remember how old I was when I think about oh, any of my memories growing up. So it's funny how much that can affect you. Is there, I, I mean, mostly here in the Midwest, it's the seasons are very, very different. Yeah. <laughs> For a place that doesn't have the that punctuated season, do you see the ebbs and flows in in mood like you would with someone who is say on the East Coast, or is it like I don't know? Does it get to be like kind of Groundhog's Day every day when it's all the same? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but my experience is that it is a little bit different. You know, you yeah. don't have that seasonal effectiveness disorder like it's better. <laughs> you know, I went to school in Michigan, and there was like seven months where there'd be no sun, and it no really sun me. I know. Yeah, versus California, there's you know at least where I am, there's kind of always sun, but there's still the seasonality of like holidays. Like the holiday season sure. tends to be complicated emotionally for everyone, and summer break is different vibe, obviously that kind of thing. So maybe it's a little less weather dependent and a little more, um, event dependent life. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, okay. I would love to just, you know, we've talked about what COA is, some of the, the classes, the sizes, all the things, where would you direct someone to start if they were like, okay, I want to try this out. Um, would you, was it, is it the push up that you would suggest? I would say head to joincoa.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-A.com. And I actually made a 
discount code for your community. So Amazing. if you type in yoga magic, then you'll get a discount on your first month of membership. And then yeah, start with a 15 minute push up as a way to just try it out or dive right in and take a class on one of the traits. We also do these things called Q and A's, which is where you show up and you have all of your questions answered about a particular topic. So we've done Q and A's on COVID anxiety, on building better friendships, on having a healthy relationship with your body, any kind of topic, they, they pop up at different times. And then you get to engage in the chat with other people who are also learning about that thing. So that can be a nice way. And as a member, you get access to all the Q and A's we've done before. So you can hear how our therapist facilitators have answered questions about past topics as well. And then follow us on socials too. Our, our handle is at join COA on all the things. So we'd love to see you there too. Amazing. Oh, this was perfect. All of everything I was curious about answered. Emily, it was just that really, again, that like self-awareness piece was something that I, like really struck with me. And so thanks for diving in a little bit more. I'm, I'm excited to do some more of these classes here. I'm preparing for maternity leave. And like, I think to me, that's one of the toughest emotional times ever is like, I'm you know, alone with a child. I want to talk to an adult and ultimately like doing that resiliency practice and, and building these muscles is so, so key. So I'll be hanging out on Koa quite a bit. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad to see you there. And for people who want to connect with me, I'm very active on Twitter. My handle is Dr. Emily Anhalt, Dr. Emily Anhalt. So D-R-E-M-I-O-Y-A-N-H-A-L-T. And actually we are starting a podcast ourselves, and I'd love to tell you about it. The, the concept of our podcast is emotional pushups. They're quick episodes, about 10 to 15 minutes where I'll talk about a psychological concept and then I'll suggest a really actionable pushup you can do to practice that that day. And then every other week we do something called Taboo Tuesdays where we talk about sex, drugs, money, death, or therapy with a guest to try to, you know, destigmatize some of these things that we work hard not to talk about, even though we're all thinking about. So I hope to see you all at, at, to hear you all at the podcast as well. Oh my gosh. That's, that's so perfect. That's very Scorpio. Like we're in sort of a Scorpio energy right now. We're releasing a lot of that, like the things that we haven't wanted to talk about in a long time, grief, loss, sex. Yes. yes. And like, let's just talk about it. Heck yes. I love it. It's amazing. Okay. I will link all that information up in the show notes. People can check it out. Find you. Thanks again, Emily. This was so, so insightful. I really appreciate it. I so appreciate everything you're doing and thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in everyone. Thanks to Dr. Emily for sharing all this such helpful information today. Again, if you want to take advantage of her discount code, it's yoga magic and that gets you 50% off your first month of membership at COA. Make sure to follow us along at yoga magic podcast on Instagram and tune in next week. Thanks everyone.